0: following is a message from praise and worship a community of people in branson missouri who are loved by jesus and joining him in his mission to bring love and hope to all people for more information and for more audio and video content visit www.branson.church so the bible It's you know seen better days. The Bible has you know a lot of people are like Bible you know not really you know this is kind of made up. Three guys in a bar, they got drunk and they're like hey let's come up with a cool story. You know that's what a lot of people think the Bible is or people will say the Bible is filled with contradictions. They'll tell me this, and I'm often like, which ones? And then they're like, eh, you know, they don't always, can't always produce those. But they're convinced that they are, and they've watched Penn and Teller on late night comedy shows, demonstrate the fallacies of the Bible, and all these kinds of things. And um, and I'm like, so you wait, you're listening to illusionists for the truth? That's interesting. And so the idea is you, you get all these kinds of things going on in a culture where you and I are actually struggling just to put one foot in front of the other, And we have all these voices coming at us telling us what's right, what's wrong, what's everything else. And how do we know that we can rely on the Bible? Well, the first step in that, may I just challenge you with something that I'm running a risk here, so just be careful with this one, okay? Don't like like just not listen after it, because if you only listen to this sentence, you'll miss everything. The Bible didn't come from heaven. Did you hear that? The Bible did not come from heaven. Now you might be sitting there now, wait a cotton-picking minute there, pal. I know for a fact it's God's word. It's his inspired inerrant word, and I would agree with that statement. But no book fell from heaven. Now you might be thinking, what are all these books up here? So I've got all these books up here. And I want you to tell you, most people think this is the one that came from heaven. This This is the one that actually descended from on high. Now actually this isn't the exact one. It's a replica of the one that fell from heaven. It's the King James authorized version. So it it was one very similar to this that fell from heaven, and it was probably a similar size, maybe a little bit bigger. This one is a new one compared to the original King James. The original King James came in 1611. There was a flash of lightning in Jerusalem, and it was right there, right on the Temple Mount. Oh, wait, the Dome on the, Mount was already, was, Dome on the Rock was already there, so I guess it didn't work. But the point is, a lot of people just kind of grew up thinking that. But this, actually, um, Steve Bolger l- l- lended this to me. This is a Bible from the 1800s and um, it printed in Chicago, and um, it is incredible, and I encourage you to come up and take a look at it before you leave today, because you wanna say, God's word, right, this, that, baby, that baby fell from heaven. And so, um, and it's, it's a little bit heavily used, so you gotta be careful with it. But the idea is that you should, you should try not to believe that the Bible came from heaven, because the word of God is not a book. Make no mistake, guys, what do I literally do? What have we been doing this whole worship service and every worship service? We read from the book. I'm not saying don't read the book, but don't believe that the book fell from heaven. God's word is alive. And we should praise his name that he saw fit to record all of those words in a book that we can then do exactly as Jesus and the apostles did. And we can say to one another, it is written. written. But the power to do that, the ability to do that, the the fact that we can rely upon it is not based on human ability or or, or the, the ability to look at some book that fell from heaven. It is the power of the Holy Spirit through the risen Jesus Christ who is, John chapter one, the word who became flesh and tabernacled among us. I want you to always remember we do not follow a book, we follow a man who is God. And he is the God-man who died on the cross for you and for me, accepting all of the punishment upon himself so he could save his children, whom he dearly loves. You. He loves you. And that is not something that the book is going to say to you. It's something that a person is going to say to you, that God Almighty is going to say to you. I love you, he says to you. And yes, you can find the page. We read a few of those pages today. You can find the page where it says, God so loved the world. And you can even find pages where the Apostle Paul is writing in the first person singular, because we went to seminary, we had to learn all the grammar. First person singular, you, which says he loves you. Well, you can find those pages. But reading that is one thing, and hearing a living human tell you that is quite another. Because what happens is we start to realize, I love to ask the question, uh, who was the first president of the United States? You guys know this answer. Tell me. George Washington, right? How do you know? Do you have video? You got a, you got a photograph? You don't know in any other way than anything. Well, you, uh, oh, we have read it in a book. Okay, well, that's great. I appreciate the fact that you read your history books, and good job. Keep reading them. They're good stuff, right? But how do, what made the book reliable? What made the book trustworthy? People told people who told people, who told people. And we go back and we compare all their notes and we're like, hey, yeah, this, that seems to be the case. And there's some question about whether or not the whole thing with the cherry tree actually happened because we don't have enough people who saw it. But the idea is we don't have to question that he was our president. Everybody's like, well, we don't know it from history or books, it's, he's, he's on our dollar bill, that's how we know. Right, but see, this, this is what we do, is you need to grow and understand that this idea that words are reliable Human testimony is how we come to all of our knowledge. Now, to be sure, there's a few of us that have firsthand accounts. Like, for example, you have found, personally to be true, that if you touch that pot on the stove, it will burn you. You didn't have to read that in a book. You found that out on your own. But the idea is, is that generally, outside of those basic daily experiences, all of our knowledge comes from what people tell us. Whether they told it to us in a written form, or in a spoken form, or one way or the other. There's a lot of other communication forms. Have you ever done the nonverbal words? Where you're like, mm-hmm. yeah. Or like, that's what some of you guys are saying right now. You know, or whatever it might be. There's a lot of nonverbal communication that happens too. And I want you to know the word of God is included in that too. Like this. Versus this. Because a lot of people think that the word of God is like this, like my hands are crossed for those listening in. My hands are crossed and, they, and then they just think that's what it's like. God doesn't want anything to do with me until I somehow clean it all up. When Jesus was this, hands wide open, hands wide open, crucified open. For you and for me. And that is the kind of communication, this kind of Word of God I want you to hold on to. Do I want you to also read the book? Are you kidding me? That is the absolute number one objective I have for all of us in our discipleship walk. Read God's Word. The handy dandy half sheet, right? The, the the fold over, the handout. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take this home and do the dig deepers. Because the dig deepers, you're gonna see, you're like, oh my goodness, this is connected to that and that's connected to that. And me and Jeff get to talk about that all the time. Look at all these connections, right? He quoted Deuteronomy in Romans. That's a, like a double entendre. That's awesome. So what do we do with all of this? How do we proceed? And what is the difference between all these Bibles? Well, so so I I wanted to tell you, so I've got the one that fell from heaven right here, but then then there's others that were printed, like this one, this Bible, it was the greatest source of suffering in my life. This is my Hebrew Bible, okay? So when I was at seminary, you need to know, I really love Greek, and you'll notice, if you hang around here a lot, I do love to share a lot of Greek words. There's a few coming here in just a few minutes. Hebrew, not so much, and the reason why is because Hebrew to me looks like a printing press exploded, and then all the characters landed, and that's even the more modern Hebrew from only a thousand years ago. The good stuff, the Paleo-Hebrew, way, that looks like chicken scratches, literally. And so you're like, how do you read it? And you don't even read it like the way we would read it. You read it this way, and, and like this is the first page, and this is the last page, and it's like, what? And so yeah, this was a book of suffering for me because we had to show up. In class, and it happens to be open to Isaiah right now, and so we had we showed up to a class, and we had to translate it with no tools or anything, and I would be like, um, <laughs> you know, that's you know, I just says Hebrew, and then I want to show you a couple other ones here. So this is the Bible that my in-laws gave me when I went to seminary. Now, I don't know if you can see it this way, the light's not that great, but do you see the gold on the pages? It has gold leaf pages. I mean, this looks so good on a bookshelf. I don't know if you've ever seen Bibles that look good on a bookshelf or maybe a coffee table Bible. I, I mean, it's like, I have to tell you guys, I love my in-laws and, and this was a great gift. I've never used this. Now, it's a good one because it's got archeological study Bible and everything. It's got some cool pictures, and I love Bibles with pictures. It's my favorite kind. But the idea is, is, is like, well, why do, what, do you, what do you do with this, right? I mean, you read it and everything. It's got a really nice leather, kind of this fancy trim. This is what I would call a trophy Bible. Have you ever seen those? This is where you show people to show your piety through what you have on your bookshelf. This is really good. It's got, you gotta have gold leaf if you're gonna do that. I want you to see, I'm gonna get this one out here. This is my broadsword. This is my Bible that I used during seminary and all through sort of my adult life. It has this nice uh, worn out cloth cover it's, you can get these at the bible st- at the uh, bookstores for like 1995 and and in, so it so holds the book together a little better and everything and i can get in here and i can see everything i've written in my margins and everything this is a study bible you know some of you guys have these where you've written all of them you got highlighting and like someday your kids are going to pick these up and read through them and they're just going to blow their minds about all the things you found in here of course barry had the joke the other day that if you leave your bible at church the elders will confiscate it and highlight some really weird verses so that then your kids will like what really was they thinking and so you know that'll be kind of that's something you could do but I used to really love to carry this around it was like it was literally like you know you put on my hip and and so um, it was like you know that's the thing and so then there was another bible I wanted to show you which um, is this one this is called the message bible and this is what heretics read, I don't know if you guys knew that, um, because the translation is more of a paraphrase, the whole thing's a paraphrase, and that's fine, and that's good, and they like, well, you can't rely on it because it's, 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 it's not the exact words that fell from heaven in this one that came down in 1611, to which I would say, you know what it actually is? It's actually words that when you read them, they make you think. Because Eugene Peterson, the man who did the paraphrase, had no intention of anyone using this to study the depths of God, but to have a conversation with him and to understand some of the things he's saying to you and to me right now. To hear his voice, which is, where is it? Near. And so, ironically, if I'm like flying on an airplane or whatever, this is what I take with me, and I just sit and I read, and I kind of love to look at some evangelical fundamentalists who will look at me and go like, well, he's out to lunch, and that's okay. That's okay. They love Jesus, so do I. We'll get along fine in heaven. But the idea is, is that th- th- some people ask me, which translation is the best? And my answer is always the one you're reading. The one you're reading. This is my current favorite. It's called God's Word. It's by Baker Publishing, who bought it when it went bankrupt in the 90s. And so now it's just like this. It's like written on the fifth grade level, which I love that because I'm a slow reader. And, um, and what I, if I just want to sit and read God's Word and not know what it's already going to say, because a lot of you guys have done this. You've read the Bible, and you ha- you've read it a lot. which is pra- praise God for that. But then you start to have the, your, the sin in you will s- sort of kick in, and, and it'll start to make you think that, well, you already know it, so you don't need to read it right? And yet every time you open it, it's, it's fresh. And I read this one a lot because the, the print is on a different page or a different layout than I'm used to. And so I'm a visual learner. And so I'm to the point where when I read my old Bible, it's like I already know, I literally even know where the words are going to be on the page because in my mind, remember this, I don't know where anything's at. And I love it because it's just kind of fresh and new. You guys ever seen one of these? So if that other one's the broadsword, this would be a little dagger, First of all, you need to know this is not a Bible. But does it contain God's word? Oh, that's an interesting question. Now Mark's a real heretic. This is Luther's small catechism which belonged to my grandfather. And um, you gotta know, if you ask me if I'm Lutheran, I always give you a complicated answer that pretty much says no, and yet, I still find myself uh, loving and, 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 and telling the story of my Uncle Marty, and so much of it is contained in here, because in his day, nobody had Bibles. Now, he worked very hard to turn that around, but even after he got them translated into their language, they were still expensive and hard to find. They looked like this, right, This big one. And so he wanted people to have something that they could afford to get, that they could keep in their, in their pockets. This was the dagger. He said, he called it the end Caridian because you'd go out, you know, it's like in his day, you didn't have freeways or trains or planes. And so you, when you would travel from town to town, you had to walk or maybe ride a horse or something, but there would be bandits out there. And you might get caught out there all alone. He says, you need a dagger because there are bandits, bandits with you every day wherever you go. You need God's word in a way you can learn and grow in it. So a, a, look, a little book like this, you guys might have devotional books. doesn't have to be this one. But they have passages that the Lord has used to knit your heart together and to grow your faith. Those are awesome. Keep reading them. Keep using them. Here's an interesting one. The Jesus Storybook Bible. Now, this one's all taped back together because in our family, we read this to our kids for like literally their entire childhood. And why did we do this? This isn't God's word. It's not even, they don't even try to make it God's word. No, it's actually the words of Sally Lloyd-Jones who is telling what the story of the Bible would, would sound like to a child. And you know what's beautiful about that? She'll say things like, do you know every page of God's story whispers the name of Jesus. Now, there's no Bible passage that says that. Well, John 5, 24 gets pretty close. But there's no Bible passage that says whispers, or, or those, well, you know, there's that one time with Elijah. But there's no, it does not in there. It's not for the fundamentalists among us, it wouldn't work. But if you believe God's word is something that is sent by his spirit, is someone who is sent by his spirit to work in your life and mine through all kinds of different ways and things, then yes, He will very powerfully use the words of a lady who's trying to teach us how to tell children and the beautiful pictures and the stories that go with that. So it's really interesting because when you start thinking this way, everybody gets nervous because we went through a period in the 20th century when there were a whole lot of Christians that took the authority and reliability of the scriptures and chucked it. Debbie and I have been to churches where the pastor said he began preaching a sermon on the book of Jonah. You know, that's the fellow with the whale, right? Everybody kind of knows that story. And he's like, well, we all know that this is just a fairy tale, but I'm gonna teach you something like honorable from it. And we're like, no, 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 that is not what you're hearing out of this guy. You're gonna hear that every single page, no matter which version you're reading, no matter which edition, no matter which, it was the one that fell from heaven, because it didn't, or the one that you picked up at the local bookstore, or like the missionaries that Ravi Zacharias would talk about who were in prison in Vietnam, and the only access they had to God's word were in the latrine where the guards who were oppressing them and torturing them would wipe their rear ends and leave it in the bottom of the whole and those men would crawl in there and they would clean off those pages the best they could they didn't exactly have running water and they would read them for the ch- to cherish the words that they contain it is written it is written and i want you to hear that it is written that god loves you and that is not something you need to look up on a chapter and a verse you need to listen because the word of god is near. Speaking of it is written, Romans chapter 10 verse 3, because I want you to hear God's Word today and we're gonna grow in it. We're gonna receive what he has given to you and to me. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They didn't. And they, you might be, you know, you're like, well who's they? Well, obviously he's talking about those people that rejected Jesus. He's referring to the Jews, particularly of his day. But this is, not a, this, is not, this is not limited to them. This is anybody and everybody who says to God, I don't want nothing to do with you. Grammatically enhanced there. And so I don't want nothing to do with you. And that's what happens when we try to do it on our own. I would argue there's only two religions in the world. you are like, Mark, there's thousands. There's tens of thousands. There's really only two. There's the kind where you try to climb up, whatever it is. You're climbing up to God or whatever you call what we would refer to as God or Brahman or whatever. You're either climbing up or he's coming down. There's only two and there's only one that teaches that he comes down. There's only one. Take a look at Romans 10 verse four. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. What do you have to do to make God love you? Answer, while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5. We don't have to do anything. The fact that he made us is the proof of his love. And the fact that he saved us by sending Jesus is the further proof of his love. The question is whether or not, once he gives us this gift, what do we do with it? Christ is the end of the law, which means you don't have to do anything to receive God's love. It's just righteousness if you believe the promise. The story, when you tell the children or when you struggle to translate Hebrew or when you're reading the heretics version or whatever it is, whenever you start to believe the story, whenever someone tells someone else, you know, I think this is going to be okay. I don't know what's going to happen with the health news or the, or the financial news or the political news or any of those things, but it's going to be okay. you know what that is? That is God's word for you and for me. B- believe it. That's all we're called to do. Take a look at Romans 10, verse 5. Here he's quoting from Leviticus, which is always good when Romans quotes from Leviticus. Leviticus. Moses describes it in this way. The righteousness that is by the law... Excuse me. The righteousness that is by the law, the man who does these things will live by them. And this is to quote the great theologian, Master Yoda, which, which you know, he says, "Do or do not. There is no try." That's actually quite biblical when we talk about the law. If you want to earn your way to heaven, well, get started, because you bet you either do it or you don't. And if there's ever been one minute when you didn't, well, I hate to tell you. Scripture says, it is written, that he who is guilty of breaking one part of the law is guilty of breaking the whole law. You'll find that in Galatians 4 and 3. You kind of repeat it in two different ways. And so whenever you're talking about this, you're like, no, no, no. If you're going to live by the law, you know, if you don't live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. This is the same, same principle here. The man who does these things will live by them. So verses 6 through 8, this is what He says, But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not ask, and I'm summarizing a little bit there, who will ascend into heaven (coughs) or who will descend into the deep, what does it say? The word is, and there's that word again, near. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. So if you think that this is only God's word, Mark's like, or they're like, Mark, you're holding up the wrong one. That's the Heretics Bible. If you think that this is God's word, only, this is the only place you can get God's word, or it has to be the one that came from heaven, or may the Lord have mercy, it's in original Hebrew or Greek. Um, if you think that's the only place of God's word, then why does God's word say that it's in your mouth? and It's in your heart. What does this mean, right? This is, what, this is why good Lutherans always ask this question. What does this mean? and I want us to think about that because look at what he says. He goes, it's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Now, there's a whole series of messed up people that take the word of faith and go a little bit nuts with it. The idea here is I just take it what it says. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. This is part of what's going on in your life. Um, if, If you're someone who says, I don't know, any of you ever feel this way? I can't read the Bible because I, it makes me it's too hard. Anybody ever feel like it's too hard? Go ahead, please raise your hands. My hands is up. I don't know if you guys noticed this. I'm trained, four years seminary, $200,000 worth of really good training, and I find the Bible hard to read. Okay? So it's okay to say that. In fact, I would argue that's the first step to growing in your faith. The Bible is a library of 66 books written over 2,000 years of history in three different languages over multiple epochs of time, and it contains countless, not countless, but there's like a dozen or more, maybe not that many, but there's at least seven or eight different literary styles in there. And, you're, and some of the books have multiple literary, literary styles in the book, hello Genesis, hello Exodus. You know, you're going along reading a narrative, and all of a sudden breaks into poetry, and you're like, wait, what does that mean? That's okay. I want you to keep asking that. That's why we don't do church as individuals. The word church means assembly, the gathering of the people because we need to grow together in it. And there are times you will ask me questions and I'm like, ooh, I gotta go look that one up. And even when I look it up, all you'll find is a bunch of old theologians saying, yeah, hey, I don't know what that says. That's okay. That's called humanity. That's called living in the brokenness. If we had all the answers, I would immediately be suspect. That's when I'd be like, "Mm, I don't know about that one. Because then that means we invented God. The only time I would be interested is in God I cannot fathom. I cannot explain how he could be the way that he is. Other than when I look at the very things he has done for you and for me, and I see what he's like. This is the word of faith we are proclaiming. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart. Take a look at verse nine. Now, this is a famous one. Many of you who have heard the Romans Road or whatever, this is kinda where that comes in. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And and this is 100% true, this is God's word. And it's 100% true for you and for me. But what I don't want us to do is to turn it into a formula, like a mathematical kind of thing, like if this, then that, you know, kind of a logic thing, a flow chart. No, 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 no. Because well, there's some interesting things that are going on there because one of the first things I would ask is what does Lord mean? If you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? Now, a lot of people will say, well, Lord means he is Lord over my life. He is my authority. And I'd be like, that is a very good answer but there's more. Well, Lord means he's the creator of the universe. That's a really good, now I'm starting to get excited because I'm like, yeah, there's only two categories in the universe. That is creator, and really he's not in the universe. He created the universe, and then there's all the stuff in it, right? So there's the things that are we call creation, and there's creator. That's just all you got. And So when you say Jesus is Lord, and you say he's creator, I'm like high-fiving you. This is a good answer. There's more. Because one of the things that's interesting, you can kind of see the little scribbles on the side there, sneaking down to verse 13. Verse 13 quotes Joel 2 and says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, it says in English, will be saved. But if you go back to Joel, it's everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. And here the Apostle Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uses that word for Jesus. Jesus as he also does in Philippians 2 and as Luke does in in Luke chapter 2 and of countless other places. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. That's what that means. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying that when when Moses was at the burning bush and Moses said, yeah, okay, that's fine. I get all the stuff you're talking about, burning bush, but what is your name? And he says, well, you tell the Israelites I am. That's who sent you. And then, in Hebrew, that would have been Echyeh, in the, in the way he would have said that, which means, I am. But you, someone else can't say, I am, because that only applies to him, right? So they would say, he is, which would be Yahweh. And that became the divine name of, of, of God. Now, it's a very special name, because remember, God said, don't take my name in vain. And so people were like, okay, what we will do is we'll just never say Yahweh, we'll always say Adonai, which is Lord. And so when they brought it into Greek, they just translated it Lord. When they bring it into English, they just translate it Lord. But I want you to know who is the Lord. What's his name? His name is Jesus. His name is Yahweh. He is. This is so important. And so when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is all of those things and even more, we're saying he is my king and we're believing that he actually rose from the dead. This is a crazy idea. Do you believe that people could raise from the dead because that's why we're here if you if somebody brought me the bones of jesus i'm out i'm just gonna go watch football and drink beer i mean that's just what i'm gonna do but no we have hope this is what it all comes down to guys we have hope that the loved ones we have buried in the ground are coming back out of it i mean that's that's what this says we actually have hope that the people who trust in Jesus, are, well, no, the scripture says everybody's coming out of the ground, but the people who trust in him will be raised unto life with him eternal. And those who said, No, I don't want God in my life, will not be forced to be with him. They will get what they want, and they will be in a different place. Scripture calls it the lake of fire. A lot of people think, Oh, I, Jesus doesn't talk like that. Jesus is nice. He's says, Love your neighbor. He's the one who told more about hell than anybody else. It's very real. And if we delete it from the Bible, well then we're saying it is not written. We're not gonna delete anything from the Bible. We're gonna keep telling God's story, the story of Jesus. If you believe all of this stuff, you are saved. You are. Take a look at verse 10. Now you got to watch out. This is the MLV. This is Mark's literal version because I wanted you to see because up till now it's been active voice, active voice, active voice. Everybody's like, what's that mean? And I know the grammarians in the room, they're like, hey, that's pretty cool. But it's active voice, active voice. Now all of a sudden it's passive voice and that's, I want you to know that. So it's been, you know, believe this, trust this, hear this, listen. And now it's, look at this, because believing with the heart results in being declared righteous and confessing with the mouth results in being in salvation. See, and this, this is where it helps us get away from those formulaic kind of things where we're like, well, you know, i got to do these things. i got to jump through these hoops. No, 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 no. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. Please hear that. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. Take a look at verses 14 and 15. And how can they hear, an interesting word there, without someone, now here we've got we to gotta bring a little Greek in, okay, because it's very important. Because the NIV says preaching, and in our culture they think, well, we hire a guy to do that once a week. And, and we, he, we're frustrated, he only works one day a week, and on that day he works too long. So that's kind of the old conundrum of the preacher. No, no, this is keruso, which can be preaching, so they're not wrong to translate that way, but it's any kind of announcement. And you guys do announcements. You tell people, "Hey, did you know? Did, like, for example, Holly, Holly and Joel have an announcement. They got a new baby, right?" And so there's announcements. We all do this things. We did you guys know that you could say fifteen percent or more on your car insurance? We do all kinds of announcements, right? So whatever it might be, you hear announcements, and so anybody and everybody should be k Russoing, right? This is what we do. So how can they hear without someone telling them? And how can they? How can they tell them unless they are sent? This is the beautiful thing. This is the what and the so what. Here's the great idea that God had. It's just it's what he wanted to do. You know, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, Jesus said. Now you go make disciples. And I would have been sitting there going, uh, wait, what? You're kind of the risen one from the dead. You could kind of go around showing people the nail holes and the, you know, all those things. And now you want to send us? hmm that's what he wanted to do. And look at what he says. As it is written, there, there you see the Apostle Paul carried by the Holy Spirit, both speaking God's word and referring to the written word. It's all of the above. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Look at verse 17. This is another MLV because I just want you to see it very clearly. Consequently, faith comes by what is heard and what is heard comes through the spoken word, the rhema, the spoken word of Christ. Now, here's the thing, guys. Don't don't hear what I'm not saying. They're like, well, why do the Gideons put the Bibles in the hotel rooms? Because people can read something and listen to it, okay? Don't get caught up in silly categories. The point is this. The word of God is something that he sent to you and to me. It's a who not a what and that who works through this and he works through this and he works oh may the lord have mercy through this and he also works from this big old boy that came right out of heaven itself right and you know who what else he works through he works through this and through them and all of those people and them too this is how God's word works. This is why we can rely on it. You could burn all of the Bibles in the world, which would be really hard because we just just since the year 1990, there have been over 5 billion Bibles printed, which is that's, just so you know, that would like fill like all of Branson and half of Missouri, I mean that's a lot of Bibles. There have been so many Bibles made. It's all on, all the digital Bibles are everywhere. I never even showed you the Bible I use the most now is just this, because I can have like 3,000 books on here. It's really cool, I got all my commentaries and everything. But the idea is, all the digital Bibles and everything, you can't get rid of them, but if you somehow could, the Word of God is not gone, because you and I would still be around saying, let me tell you about a man who rose from the dead, who has conquered death and lives for you and for me so that we would be able to join him in that, all in a kingdom of love, where we care for one another no matter what. I would invite you to pray with me about that as we seek his face and helping us always remember the word of God is near. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for all that you give us, and we pray boldly right now that you would indeed help us take these words to heart and that we would have them in our hearts and in our mouths. Not just in our hearts, also in our mouths. Lord, remind us, every time this week when we hear the word heart or mouth, that we think of those little mental reminders that that's where the word of God is. It's in our heart, and it's in our mouth. And I pray that we would live as people that are mouthy, that are letting their hearts be on their sleeves so that it's not just something that is a set of mental ideas that we learned in a formula, but that salvation is a way of life. It is a life that springs forth like what Jesus said in John chapter 4, he who takes the water I give him to drink will have a well springing up in him which leads to eternal life. Let us see it that way, not as a formula, but as a life, a life lived by the power of your spirit who, with Jesus, lives and reigns. One God, now and forever. Amen.